0: And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how is it written the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: As we encounter the Gospel of Mark again today, I want to begin, before diving in completely into this text, I want to share with you a meme I came across about a week ago, and it really describes some of this journey that we've been through in the Gospel of Mark. You see, the Gospel of Matthew, shaped by the Torah in five parts, shows us Uh, One thing the Gospel of Luke with its eyewitnesses uh, tells us another. And the Gospel of John with signs and a pattern through signs. But the Gospel of Mark, let's just get down to business, right? And in every single chapter, and you've heard me say this before, he gets down to business and says, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's come to do. And maybe, uh, unlike any chapter that we've encountered so far, that is true of chapter 9. As we come and meet Jesus on a mountain, the mountain of transfiguration. And we behold him as, once again, as we hear those words of God, as the Son of God. He gets down to business and tells us who he is. And tells us who we are to worship. And as I was thinking about that and pondering that this week, I I remembered the words of David Foster Wallace, who gave a uh, surprising address to the graduates of Kenyon College. Surprising because uh, Foster was not a believer, in fact, maybe at best an agnostic, and more likely a atheist. But he shared these wise words with the graduates, everybody worships. And he goes on to tell them that everyone worships someone or something. Everybody makes something the ultimate. And he warned them in a a great address about the things in this world that we worship that don't hold up, that can't sustain them in this life, as he shared with those graduates. And sadly, not too many years later, Wallace himself would succumb to depression, realizing the things that he held up didn't hold up either. Everybody worships. But will it hold up? The achievements, the beautiful, wonderful successes that we've enjoyed are great, but when they fail, and they often do at least for a season, when they're our utmost, then we aren't just disappointed, we're crushed. Or even in the most precious relationships in our lives, When they don't meet what we thought they would. We're not just disappointed, we're crushed. Or the things that we look to for entertainment or joy. When they don't give the same buzz, the same uh, reach of satisfaction. When we go to them again and again. When they become the ultimate, they always fail us. But today, we remember it's true that everybody does worship. There is one we discover that is worthy and that can hold us up, even in the disappointments of life, even when things are imperfect. It can give us purpose and meaning beyond what we can create for ourselves. And that one, God tells us, is His Beloved Son. And so at the transfiguration, we encounter again and anew. As of course, Mark gets down to business and says, this is the Son of God. And this is what he's come to do. And so this transfiguration connects us with the Old Testament promise. And anticipation, and what is to come. And I'll share more about this in a moment from the cross. But before we get to those important connections, I want to share with you about the mountain itself. Now, it's located in Israel, of course. Uh, we don't know uh, which mountain for sure, the scripture doesn't say. By tradition, you see the picture on the left there of. Uh, Mount Tabor and the church that's built on it, the Church of the Transfiguration. Uh, And then there's the mountain to the right. The scripture does say it's a high mountain. And so some would argue uh, it would have made, in some ways, more sense on their path. As you read, and when we get to uh, Mark chapter 8, we'll discover that they were in Caesarea Philippi. And the path makes more sense to to go towards Mount Hermon, the highest peak in the land, 9,000 feet. And maybe that's why it was already evening when they arrived. Or maybe it was a long walk to Mount Tabor. And that's why Luke points out that it was nighttime. We know because they were asleep. I share all this with you not just for historic context. But to point out, though it doesn't matter which mountain it was. Mountains were a big deal in the scriptures. And... When you were on a mountain, big things happened. Like the covenant being established on Mount Zion. Or the law coming to us on Mount Sinai. And whether it was Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon that was the Mount Transfiguration, what matters most is they were there with Jesus and Elijah and Moses would come and no I don't know how they knew it was Elijah and Moses but we know the conversation will tell us as Luke will report it who they were in many ways the big things are happening on the mountain and so as scholars will point out one person said we don't look to the transfiguration to see who Jesus is what we do in many ways is we look through it. We look through it to where he is going. We reach back, as Chad Bertel say, to the Old Testament and reach towards the eschaton, the uh, end. The, or as I'll say, when we look through the transfer, transfiguration, we see the cross. And so we reach back and we reach ahead and we encounter Jesus. When we reach back on this reading from Mark 9 and in the other Gospels account, we see the Shekinah, what the Old Testament calls the Shekinah glory of the very presence of God when this uh, luminous cloud would come and meet with His people. And that cloud again shows up, this time shining through Jesus Himself. He is the very presence of God and as God met with Elijah and Moses and shined His glory upon them, He does it again now through His Son. Big things happen on mountains. As Isaiah 40 will report, alluding to this that is to come, About the word of God that will stand forever and never wither. That his light will shine and behold our God will be revealed. Or as Daniel 7 will report the ancient of days will be dressed in splendor and white. Or as we read today in uh, Mark's gospel that uh, he is wearing robes that no bleach could make that white. Reaching back into the Old Testament promise to reach ahead, to see through to who Jesus is, the Son of God. This we discover here in Mark chapter 9. And even some years later, the Apostle Peter will recall this moment. In Second Peter, he recalls this moment in chapter 1 when he talks about being an eyewitness of His majesty that they'd received and understood the glory of God the Father, that that voice spoke to them, that this, in fact, as we heard on the first Sunday of Epiphany, on Jesus' baptism, we hear now at the Transfiguration to affirm again on the last Sunday of Epiphany to say this, that this, as Peter will report, this is my beloved son, God says, with whom I'm well pleased. So, this is who God is, and that changes everything. It's now Jesus shining the light of God upon Moses and Elijah. And as Peter will have just confessed and we'll get back to in Mark chapter 8 a couple of weeks from now that Jesus is the Christ and he explains to them in chapter 8 that he must suffer Uh, and now in chapter 9 that he will rise and they don't understand any of it. It doesn't make sense at this moment as Elijah will step aside and Moses will step aside, they will see, looking through transfiguration to the cross, it is Jesus only. Jesus only. And what is he doing here? Well, thankfully, although Mark doesn't report it, Luke does, the conversation between uh, Moses And Elijah to give us a clue on what he's doing and how it's taking us to the cross. Because he tells them that he is about his departure. That word for departure in Greek uses a word for exodus. He is about to embark on a new exodus. Reaching back in the Old Testament when he saved his people from slavery. He's about to do it again. But now for all of humanity and save us with a new exodus from sin. Out of the bondage of sin into new life. And though no artist can capture the splendor and majesty of the transfiguration, I struggled trying to find the best piece of art to show you and none of it can capture what we read. It was, as one scholar put it, a sensory of images, an event. But this is what's so ironic and wonderful about God. He doesn't tell us at the end of this uh, experience to look to Him. Instead, He says to listen to Him. And so though we can't see, or even with our great uh, ability with... uh, technology today to even create the splendor of the bright radiant light that was shown we could never see it and we don't see it today we can still listen listen to him through his word as Isaiah 40 said that stands forever and will never fade we had a perfect picture of that yesterday uh, we had a service here for a uh, A gentleman who had been one of the architects of this sanctuary. And especially appreciating the view of the mountains that uh, are before us of God's creation. And of course, as that service unfolded, that creation was completely covered in clouds, right? Couldn't see a thing uh, of them or the view out these windows, And I said it was an exercise in walking as yet by faith. Uh, We knew and know that those mountains overshadow us uh, even though we can't see them. And even though we don't get to see the transfiguration, we still get to listen to Him, the Son of God, this day, friends. And listening to Him is the key. Martin Luther will share that on his very last sermon. It was his final sermon. It was February 15th, 1546. And in reference to this text, he said uh, he should not be listening to the leaders of this world, the emperor, the pope, the cardinals, the princes, but rather no one else should be of highest esteem for him, except the Son of God alone. That even the nobles and wise and all their understanding, but shall he put his trust in? he'll believe in Christ. He is my Lord, he shared. He is the one God bids me to listen to. Listen to. And so today God invites us to listen to him so what we have to ask what are we what are you what are we listening to And ultimately that answer to that question leads us to the next one who are we who are we worshiping? Are we crushed because the success in this world, as great as it's been, doesn't give us the satisfaction we we thought it would, or in its failure, not achieve the height what we thought we would in life, or is there a relationship that's been broken and hurting and, and that pain is real, a disappointment is real, but it's done more than that, it's crushed us because that is where we found our esteem and highest form of understanding ourselves. Or does the buzz of entertainment or adrenaline rush no longer do what it once did? Who are we worshiping? This isn't just a question for someone else out there and uh our world, who we see, uh, as Wallace Foster pointed out, are worshiping a great many things. It is for us, the followers of Jesus, who are called to listen to Him. Who are we listening to? Who are we worshiping? And the transfiguration says to you, with a word of hope, a word of hope today, He does Hold up. Even in the, the difficulties of this life, the disappointments, and in the joys, this one is worthy of worship. For Elijah and Moses, they fade away, and it's Jesus only. He is the one. It's who we listen to. Let His word that never fails shape our daily lives, shape uh, the next few hours, the next few days, the next few months, the next few years, and all that is to come, Jesus only, in our homes, in our workplaces. Let him be the ultimate one whom we worship and it shapes our life. He holds up. So let us worship him. Friends, today, let us come to Jesus. Jesus only. Amen.